Right. Welcome to episode three of the Outback Mike Adventure and Survival Podcast, which if you listen to the first one, you'll probably figure out that it's not all about survival or adventure. There, there is plenty of room for other stuff. So we'll probably get a bit of other stuff in this one with my next guest, Lucy Barnard, who I think I came in contact with about five years ago as she's walking across the world from the southern tip of South America to the northern tip of Alaska. And she's with me right here. Once again, we happen to be in a hotel room. We actually recorded this um, this first episode two nights ago as we hiked up a volcano at night with packs on, which sounded like a great idea. It's just unfortunately one of the mics, my mic, had this tapping noise, I think, where my GoPro was tapping against my microphone mount. Anyway, it's pretty annoying. So I decided just to do it all in one hit. So we're going to chat to Lucy about the general thing, like as if you've never heard of Lucy before, and then we'll get a little bit more specific in quotation marks. So uh, she's expecting a call from a vet soon, which will make more sense. So we might have to pause the podcast and you might hear a bit of traffic noise because we're in Antigua in a little hotel and there's a dengue outbreak. Um, but it's still too hot to completely close the windows, so we're just crossing our fingers that we don't get dengue fever. <laughs> anyway, uh, Lucy, can you tell me what you're doing and how you got to be in this crazy position and expedition that you're doing? Okay, yes. So I'm making an attempt to be the first woman to walk the length of the world. And I guess the idea came to me when I was in on a holiday in Argentina. It was the first holiday that I'd really gone on by myself. And... I thought it was going to be a really beautiful, adventurous holiday. But when I got there, um, I wore some thongs around town and got a blister that then became infected. And I also ended up with a chest infection. So all of the hiking and the rock climbing that I had planned suddenly went out the window. Um, And I was feeling a bit jaded about it on a 10-hour bus ride on my way down to Patagonia. And um, I just get really bored in car trips and started wondering you know, how you kind of think ridiculously that you could walk faster. Like it's yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, I really felt caged. So I was like, oh, I wonder if I could walk the length of Argentina. And I was like, I wonder if I could get all the way, because my geography was rubbish back then. I knew nothing about this <laughs> continent. So I was like, oh, I wonder if you could walk all the way to the top of the Americas. And I pulled out my phone, I looked, and it seemed like it was possible. And then I Googled it, people who have walked length of the Americas. and. One name specifically popped up that was George Megan, who was the first. And then a few photos and stories about a few other men who had done it, but I saw no women. And I was like, went back to Google, women who have walked the length of Americas, and there was just nobody. So I was like, that's absurd. Someone has to do that. And then I thought, well, you know, how hard's walking? (laughs) (laughs) I really thought that, and now I'm just like, you're an idiot. (laughs) Yeah. And so, up, like leading up to it, like where'd you grow up and, you know, did, were you adventurous as a kid and all that kind of stuff before that? I was one of those kids who would love to be adventurous, yeah. Um, but I didn't really have much opportunity. So I just used to be the kind of kid that hoped that she got picked to go to certain camps and get included in clubs that involved anything outdoorsy. But I wasn't especially... Um, adventurous because those opportunities weren't really available to me. That said, when my family went on holidays, dad would often pull over the car and take us for walks. And um, those walks would always just be a short walk, according to dad, but then it'd go all day. 
and we'd come back to the car late at night, exhausted and trashed. Um, that was really influential. The other thing that I learned more recently is that my great grandfather was the first and his job was to walk all the way through Papua New Guinea and then he walked all the way from the tip of Australia down to Sydney collecting samples of moths and butterflies and naming them. So yeah, I kind cool. of feel like even though I never met him or knew him or even knew of the story, that perhaps through epigenetics that might have had an influence. Mm. Yeah, cool. And so the actual moment when you decided to commit, was that on this bus journey or did you get back to Australia and then nut it out? And I went home wanting to do it. I, and, I, and in some ways, perhaps I had committed because I wouldn't typically share something that seemed so outrageous and embarrassing to people had I not, but I was really careful about who I talked to about it because I know that people are generally, that's ridiculous, you can't do it, that like it's not safe. That mm. would be, I knew I'd to expect that response. So um, I got to back to work um, and, and a good friend of mine said, you know, I kind of thought you would quit and not come back. And that actually was my plan. Yeah. <laughs> Except that I got hit with a massive tax bill, so I had to go home. Um, but that was okay because I had this new idea and I told her about it. And she was like, Lisi, that's incredible. You, you have to do it. And I think that's the strongest, most positive response I've had in the entire time of telling people about what I wanted to do. Good. Good that it was the first one, really. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Awesome. And so how old were you when you departed? Um, I don't know. I'm Just gonna have to calculate right. it. About thirty-five. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And and what line of work were you doing before that? I was a science communicator, um, working in a senior marketing no senior media role, um, and that was at that point for a medical research institute. But I would describe my job as a writer and science translator. Yeah, cool. And you were single at the time as well? Yeah. Yeah, awesome. And so you literally picked a date that would make sense, I guess, for seasons that you would start in Ishwara, which is the southern tip of uh, sort of Argentina slash the word world. Yeah, I picked a time of the year. This gets interesting because I picked a time of the year when it was right at the end of when the snow melts, when I felt that it would be warm enough to do everything that I needed to do, but buy me enough time to get far away enough that I wouldn't get caught in a winter. Yeah. Um, but I was also locked into a job with a one-year contract. And they actually came back to me because um, my counterpart colleagues, um, two out of, well, two out of the three of us, so the other two girls, became pregnant and were going on maternity leave at the same time that I had hold them a year ahead that I was leaving so they actually asked me if I could delay by six months and I was just like no that would actually kill me yeah yeah possibly <laughs> yeah so um it and it, it, it you know irrespective of that I did get caught in winter um and in minus 20 degrees um uh, so that window so, well, because month? the window was it was I went in February and I was looking for I, the first huh. component so, I had to hike over to the Strait of Magellan, which is a um, infamous water passage, yeah. 
And so it was the best time of the year to kayak across with calm winds and water. Yeah, cool. And Ushuaia is a beautiful place in Tierra del Fuego, the land of fire. is It's probably my favourite place it's to travel. It's So it's, I think it's 55 degrees south. So it's 10 degrees further south than the southern tip of Tasmania. Beautiful mountains all around. It's kind of the gateway where all the chips go down in the Antarctic mm-hmm. to that part of the world. Uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing place. And it's not it's not totally touristed yet. And it's, you know, beautiful no. steep mountains. There's a ski resort behind the town. But it's it's mostly, there's grass and there's then there's wooded as well it's just a really awesome part of the world yeah curiously there is a um industrial tax-free zone so um if you drive in you have to go past that to get into it but it is pristine and what was really special is that i had to hike across a national park to get to that water crossing and then i went from a little place called coleta maria all the way over to Puerto Hambre, so the hungry, the, the place where people starved when they first settled um, a convict colony. Yeah. Um, and in that kayaking, I got to kayak past ice blue glaciers, which were just breathtaking. But also next to my kayak, I frequently had pods of dolphins. I had elephant seals, whales, and lots of regular seals coming past me all of the time and it's just there was no other kayaks on the water it was just me and a safety team and the safety team was land bound right no no they were in a um no because you've got to go past islands so they were in a little tinny okay yeah Mm. cool awesome and so that crossing Tierra del Fuego to the strait and all that kind of stuff those first few weeks did you find it just find yourself just going you know what the hell am I doing like what, what was yes. going through your mind yeah so the first day was great because I met um, someone that I'm still friends with who was really eager to walk with me so she walked with me up to the border of Chile and Argentina in the National Park and um, from there I hit a roadblock I had to um, get I could have organized to do a crossing there but it was too much bureaucracy so somebody that I met through couch surfing drove me all the way around through an official border, which you can only access when it's not snowing, and then drove me back down into this area, this Coleta Maria area, and it's completely isolated. There's a national, a road being built there when I arrived, and they can get, it's so much, there's so much wilderness there, it takes them a year to do a kilometre of road. Yeah, So, um, for me, that's the vet I'm just gonna call, answer. Okay, cool, yeah, no worries. Hey. Hi. How are you going? Sorry, we just uh, had a bit of an interruption there. That was Lucy's vet calling from Australia, and we'll discuss why that happened a little bit later. So, yep. sorry, if you can continue on where you were going. Yep. Um, okay, so we were on our way to Coleta Maria. We descended into a valley, and it was at this point where I realized I was hitting the point of no return because it's really remote. As I was saying, they build, it takes about a year for them to build a kilometre of road through this area because it's really untouched. And I got dropped off to the point where I could then walk back to the border um, with Argentina where I was able to get to legally and then turn around and head back on the official walk. And so that was probably the moment where I had a real, do I go for this? Because when 
the car goes, I have no out. I'm in. Um, and that to me was really confronting. But at the time that we were driving down into the valley and I was having this little freak out, the radio was on and the song that I chose to play at my dad's funeral came on and I was just like a bit creeped out because it's a different country and it's not the culture there to play that kind of music. Mm. Um, and I guess I, I, I drew on it to find a bit of comfort and confidence and I was just like, you know what? You've got all of your safety protocol in place. If you get into trouble, you know what to do. This is going to be okay. Yeah. And that's a, I mean, it's a sign of a good adventure when you have those thoughts like, man, what the hell am I doing? You know, if, you, if you're not having those feelings, there's a good saying that I can't remember the, how it goes, but you're not on a big enough adventure if you don't have those kinds of feelings. And it's, you, you're pushing yourself, which is a good thing. Mm. But that's not the end of it, though, was it? It like kept getting harder, right? Oh, I mean, that first week even, I lost a bag of food that went down a, um, because the snow was in snowmelt still. So I lost a bag of food down a fast stream. So then I was on like more than half calories not that I need to tell you about what that's like uh, and then I got a UTI which apparently you can get when you're cold um, so I had to, so I was already on antibiotics um, and then I got a message on my beacon from the safety team who were meant to uh, get to me with the kayak that they were going to be a couple of days late and I already didn't have enough food <laughs> so I was just like Great. And that was like the, the true introduction to learning what it's like in Latin America where time is just very fluid. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it's frustrating when you come. We're quite a time-based society, mm. but other societies aren't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And when you're freezing and hungry, yeah, it's a little bit more frustrating. It was a bit upsetting. Yeah. <laughs> you're talking when we were walking about a point where you, where you pretty much gave up. Was yeah. that how, how much longer after that was that? 1,000 kilometers. So um, when I was in Coleta Maria, I actually met a team of expeditionists who were coming out at, at the same time as I was going in. And they had been, you know, they had all of the National Geographic sponsored patches on their jackets and they looked really legit and I was immediately in awe of them. And they had said that they had gone in to do a kayaking expedition and gotten not even half a day in they had to then um camp in a place where they hadn't intended to and then come back and they just couldn't get through and they were wanting to go not even half the distance of what i wanted to do um which was also one of those moments of concern um they were speaking in spanish and i had been rescued by a farmer who has a house down there and hosts tourists when they come every so often. So he spoke English and he, I could see when he was talking to them that he was getting really irritated. Like, you know, body language, sometimes you can just see someone's Mm -hmm. had enough. And that was what he was doing. His name's Julio. And um, so later I was chatting to him and I'm like, are you okay? And he goes, oh, it's just those guys. Do you know what they were saying? And I was like, no, I don't don't speak Spanish yet. And he said, they were saying that you were naive and that you'd be destroyed by the time you got to El Shelton. So I was like, right, I'm getting to El Shelton. (laughs) (laughs) Best motivator. And I even, what's amazing is I, like I wrote a story on social media about it and one of the guys commented and was, you know, all, 
you know, very nicey, nicey about it. But I was like, yeah, I know what you said. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but the other side of that coin is that when I got to El Shelton, I did quit. So I got there and I quit because I was, I had water poisoning. So I was just having frequent diarrhea. I felt very uncomfortable. I had hiked through a snowy mountain pass um, that where my socks got wet and torn and I got my the back of my heels. Because this must now be around May or something? A couple of months? Yeah, I think so. But so, it was already snowing. So it's approaching winter, like yeah. pretty much on the border of winter. Yeah, but it was already like really properly... Yes, I hadn't quite crossed into where there was snow, but over the week after, no, no. And it's incredibly windy down there too, right? Yeah. And so there are places where I was passing through snow, but when I was up higher. Um, And so I was trying to be careful not to get my clothes cold and wet. I was taking care of my shoes and my feet. But there was one point where I just didn't do a good enough job. My, My heels got chewed up. I had the huge blisters on them. They ruptured. I didn't, I don't know why I didn't stop to rest. Maybe I was nervous about how much time I had on my um, passport because you have three months to get into Argentina and then back out again. Um, so that probably was waging on my mind. My equipment was breaking. Numerous things broke, but one of the worst things was I had put too much weight in my pack. My pack was about 30 kilos. 30, yeah. Ridiculous, right? I weighed 60 but yeah. I was very strong, so right. I could I could do it. Um, but the spine broke, and it was pushing in on a sensitive part of my back where um, I've got an injury from a previous, you know, when I was a kid. And if you touch that spot, it just, like, sends me red angry. Mm. It's really sensitive. Um, and so I'm dealing with all of that. I'm, I'm really dehydrated, and I'm like, it's okay, just get to the next water source. And the next water source was a mud sump. And there's just nothing that you can do to clean that water. And I thought, okay, this is great for storytelling. I'll take a photo. And I went to take a photo and the selfie stick broke. And I was like, fuck it. (laughs) I'm hitching back to the town and I'm done. And I'm like, it's not the end of the world. Redesign your adventure and just do whatever you want without all of the rules. And so I spent a month in El Shaltan. I met some people that were doing similar adventures and with a lot of care from someone that really took me in and took you know took care of me like a mother um it took a month but i was back on the road and you're telling me how many people start this and how many people quit Mm. so it's the the numbers are four people a year will start this same expedition leaving ushuaia um but most of them will quit within the first year yeah cool and so you're literally in the old or Sheltan, mm-hmm. going, that's it, I'm going to redesign. And then what happened? I met a girl called Andrea who was really excited to see me. Um, and she was telling me that a friend of hers, Albert, was on his way into El Sheltan at the same time, but he was a few days behind me and he'd been busting himself to catch up to me. Um, but he was walking on roads and I'd been cutting through the mountains. And... Um, the reason he wanted to meet me was because he was doing the exact same walk, going from Ushuaia to Argentina. And he was hoping that we could walk together for a bit. Not all the time, obviously, because, you know, it's like our own adventures. Mm. And I was really excited by that. I was like, oh, that'd be really cool, but I've quit, so no. 
(laughs) (laughs) Um, And eventually he really, he was just like, just, you know, why don't you just go for one more week, day at a time, see how you go. um, But don't quit at like, because you've just had a string of shit stuff happen to you. Mm. And I was like, yeah, that's fair. Okay. Um, Maybe I will give it another go. And so I was preparing to head out again. I thought he was going to come with me, but he decided to um, go back into this hike that we'd gotten to where there's a refugio, which is like a mountain hut, a little Mm. one, um, where he could have a fire and just spend some time with himself. And I was like, oh, that's cool. I get it. No worries. You can catch up. Um, and he could, he, like, he was a professional handball player. So he was, re- he's really tall, fit and fast. Um, and the next thing I hear from Albert is that he, his parents had bought his ticket home and he decided not to walk on. Cool. But, yeah. And you decided to keep on one day at a time. Yeah, that's it. Like I decided that from there on in, um, every additional day was a bonus and I think people really understood that I was struggling because for a little while, every time I got to a new town, somebody would either donate a bunch of money to me and I would feel like emotionally blackmailed into continuing or they'd buy me new shoes or something. Wow. And this is Argentinians. No, no. This that? is no. Like people from home right, okay. um, putting money into my bank account or whatnot yeah. through one of my fundraisers. And... Um, and then I think slowly the weather started getting better. I started learning more of um, YouTube channels after meeting people who had who were really into through hiking, which is where you walk the length of a country, and telling me about these channels where I could learn about how to lighten my weight in my pack. And I was so stuck on thinking that I needed everything in my bag that I had and that the few luxury items that I did have was worth carrying. Um, but I now have my base pack weight under 10 kilo and I think that's you know a third of what I started with yeah keeping in mind that I'm now in a summer climate and I'm not carrying you know like a kilo sleeping bag and a kilo tent Mm. and probably not as much food either yeah 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 for sure yeah cool and so that was that probably the hardest moment of the trip do you think I think so. I mean, it's really hard to know. I kind of really wanted to quit at the end of the Atacama Desert because um, (laughs) it's a desert (laughs) and it was like 2,000 kilometers long the way that I walked Um, and it's just bedrock hard and it was the first time that I was walking through the night instead of through the day and it was hot and dry you know the opposite Mm. of what i was struggling with in patagonia um but again people were really nice and so every time i was miserable and got into town and i was just in a foul mood you know someone (laughs) would take me in and they'd be like in chile it's really sweet you know if the people are over 50 male or female they'll call you daughter and so someone would always say, Ika, Ika, banga, 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 like, come here, come here, what are you doing? Like, come here. And they'd be like, you need a shower. Do you want to have a shower? Do you, you look, you look hungry. And I was pretty underweight at this point. They're like, yeah. you look hungry. Do you want some lunch? And they would invite me in. And without fail, most towns, I would arrive somewhere. Someone would wash my clothes, send me into the shower. And by the time I got out, have a plate of food ready for me, which I would then almost eat, except they'd then put it on the floor for wombat. 
and then you bring me mine yeah like crazy <laughs> um and then they'd um send me into a bedroom to go to have a proper night's sleep wow yeah that's amazing mm-hmm. and to put that into perspective you've now done fifteen thousand kilometers yeah you're at the halfway mark so um that first thousand was when you were thinking at the end of the first thousand was when mm. you quit and re-engaged out of Carmen Desert's what about seven thousand yeah cool and I think the, a really important difference here is that I was very green that first year. So I mm. was nervous. Everyone kept telling me that I was going to get robbed, die, whatever. And so I was playing it really safe and I was sticking to areas where I could be close to a road at all times. And then in Peru, um, I had been talking to some people about some trails that I could use. And I went up to start using one of them, which at least was a long um, road to start with. And I met some cyclists who introduced me to an app that's really great for navigating. And from that point on, I have more or less only been on trails. And I know that I like trails more. And I know that I like being in the mountains more than I like being down near the ocean. Um, And so essentially, I believe I've been happier because I've been in a place where I'm meant to be, where I feel at home. Yeah, cool. And... I would say probably the the most likely part of any adventure to give up is that start bit because it's it's new whatever your experience level is a lot of the time you you, if you're doing something outside your comfort zone it's the most new Mm -hmm. and you just got to you know put up with those initial stages I, i can tell you now i go to pieces a little bit when i don't my systems aren't working so I'm, it's much better for me once I've worked. And a friend of mine warned me this would happen. So I, knew, I, I was kind of forgiving of it for the first month. But then now my, the systems that I have, you know, how I get up, when I rest, what I do, like the little things that make sure that I don't lose anything, um, they're second nature to me and really sorted. And when something falls apart, like if I lose a tent peg, usually I'm like meltdown. (laughs) (laughs) Um, For example, I had a week a little while ago that you've rescued me from where in one day I lost my sunglasses and about an hour later I lost Wombat's dog lead. But, you know, none of this I realized until much later. And then my my sleeping mat had punctures that I had to repair. So I had a bunch of things f- f- go badly. And I try, I'm very, I'm trying really hard not to let that get to me. Um, but there is always a minute of like a good long minute of being really angry at myself. I think that lasted for like three days that time, this, this time, but that's a lot less than usual. Yeah. Of just moments of thinking back to it and being like, oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. Yeah. I certainly do that as well. Like you just, particularly like whether it's camera gear like you know something's not working or you you know your, your anchor's playing up or something's mm. that's just annoying and you just you just get nuts and and when yeah. you're tired and frustrated you can really just kind of just lose it a bit it's actually not a bad thing because then you can kind of laugh at yourself when you're that's still. true yeah 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 <laughs> but it's like the things that really um make me snap is when it's done because of carelessness where i and this is yeah. why i say now my systems are really honed in because I will not do step B without doing step A and I will not walk away from it until it's complete all the way through yeah yeah I'm, I'm similar and then sometimes you can still make those mistakes and you've, you've also got to forgive yourself yeah that's another thing where people will quit or just go to pieces because they're like oh, I made a mistake I'm shit 
it's like well I'm a human I'm gonna make mistakes yes I'm shit but get over it you yeah know? <laughs> totally and actually what's really nice now is that I do have a community of people supporting me and very often they're the ones that are pulling me in now and reminding me that you know you deserve a rest you deserve to buy yourself a nice dinner you deserve to not worry about that because look at what you're doing that's i can't believe that you're upset about losing a tent peg mm. which you, it is it's true it's something that's so minute but in the world of an adventure that's actually something that's very significant right yeah yep and <laughs> you're you, like maybe not really well not a tent peg but, <laughs> but well it depends on the circumstances you know yeah. like so, sometimes the right tent peg you know if you're in iceland yeah. That's a disaster because mm. nothing else goes into the um, yeah, exactly. into the ice. Yeah. It, it just depends a bit. Like whereas if in the forest, you just use a stick. Mm. But you've, you've got quite a dedicated social media following. Like the, yeah. the people on there are very kind of into it. And you're kind of like a friend to a lot of people. Or a daughter. Or, the both. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's quite... you. And you're also... You... When you have a problem to solve, you'll put it out on social media as a story, mm-hmm. which I quite like because I'm like, oh, one, it shows that, yeah, that's a, I've got real problems here. And you get answers to those questions as well, which is handy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a, it's a thing that I plan to try and start doing myself. Like, It's really nice because you never know when you're talking to someone who they are or who they know that might be able to help you. But when you've got a bunch of people who are really on your side, that really helps your odds of contacting the right person that can help you with something that you ordinarily couldn't work out yourself. Mm. Uh, must have had five minutes ago now you mentioned Wombat. Who's Wombat? Is he a Wombat? <laughs> well, wombat is my blue healer or Australian cattle dog and um, he started walking with me a year in so I made a deal with myself. My social media is tangles and tail and right from the very beginning i always knew that i wanted to get a dog it's just a part of who i am um but i didn't want to get a dog quit and dump the dog (laughs) not pr friendly (laughs) um and so i was looking for a long time i actually wanted to get a rescue but one that was young because of the time frame of this expedition Um, But I was only meeting dogs that I could see had either been abused or had an injury. And it's just irresponsible to expect a dog to do something so long-term with an injury. And also, I needed to be really careful that I didn't have a dog that is unreliable and prone to having sudden mood shifts where they might bite a child or something like that. So in the end when a farmer offered me to take one of his puppies Australia or no uh, Chile in Chile I um really didn't want because puppies are hard and I didn't know this at the time but working dogs are even harder like they are hard work um so I was avoiding trying to avoid that but ultimately it was the best solution because I could I knew his history I could train him from scratch um and it's really worked out for me yeah cool and so how old was he when you got him seven weeks Oh, right. Really young. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. And so was he walking those days from that age as well? No. So um, he had, I had a a trailer, a hiking trailer at the time, which is like a wheelbarrow, um, but with long, really, really like a a spine that you can attach bags to or like a rack. I think you might need to uh, make another one, but we'll get to that later. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then long arms at the end of it that you can then attach to a full body harness and you can walk hands-free if you pack it right but 
I mean, generally it's tippy, so you need to keep your hands on the on the handlebar. And there's a, even a brake that you can use so that when you're going downhill or uphill and you need a rest, you can assure that you're not going to lose control. Um, he would sleep in the back of that very happily. Um, he was a very energetic puppy though, so I would find that he would walk five kilometers and he would be annoyed if I stopped him. But I was worried that I would overdo his exercise while he was young, so I would pull him back in. Uh, and it was about at the seven, eight, nine month age when he started doing full days. Cool. We grew up, well, I grew up with a blue healer. We got one when I was five and it lasted till I was 18. And they are incredibly intelligent dogs. Mm. And they're cattle dogs. And they're designed to run, did you say 75 Ks a day? Yeah. Yeah. So people can pass judgment and think, oh, that's, a dog can't walk that far. Whereas I, I find that quite funny. Um, knowing the capabilities of a blue healer and then what they normally do, 35 Ks a day you know, is very much within limits. Yeah, and they're a migratory animal too. You know, they pack, but they will um, travel, you know, way back when. Um, wild dogs would travel a long, long way to find their next meal. So he does it comfortably. I do get the odd um, comment about whether or not it's responsible, but as all of my vets and dog specialists that love to help me out say, they wouldn't even categorise him as an endurance dog. Yeah. Just a dog out enjoying nature. That's their words. And they've got very strong personalities. He does seem to have a slightly different blue healer personality. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he um, he's very friendly with other people. Uh, he still is very intelligent and he can be a bit... If he's interested in something else, he will completely ignore people. If I want to touch a dog, he will go after it <laughs> yeah. yeah very protective yeah yep and jealous <laughs> yeah he is um but he's definitely not if i'm feeling safe and we're in the community in a town people on the street have no problems patting him yeah i've and, seen that plenty of times here yeah and with other healers i know forget it you you don't do that mm. you'll get bitten yeah, yeah i have a scar on my hand from doing that yeah, he's a perfect dog for your trip. Yeah, and he, right. he carries his own little package, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot lighter than it used to be because um, I have a special backpack for him now that has a special fabric to help keep him cool. So I could wet it and it kind of works as a cooling vest, but also it's breathable so it doesn't trap the air like the other ones do. But in winter, he carries a, a harness that has bags that can come on and off. Um, it's called a palisade pack and he can carry a lot more weight and that helps keep him warm as well and he like he really likes it you know sometimes like he has a command where i say i need you and he'll come right to my side like a heel and wait for me to open the bag and get whatever i need and he'll stand right there until i've zipped it up again and um sometimes i'll also pull a treat out to thank him for it but not every time because he just he loves knowing that that's his his job yeah cool Mm. And so you got through the Atacama, and that was just approaching 2020, and then COVID happened. Was there anything significant, no. majorly significant before then? So yeah, um, the Atacama Desert kind of just finishes inside Peru, so it, but it stretches mainly in Chile. So I got to go all the way through Peru along <clears> the Incan Trail. Yeah, nice. And then um, I went into ecuador and got to follow a single track through there which is an old trail that horses use very muddy but very fun 
and then I just passed into Columbia when 2020 happened. Cool. And obviously, well, Columbia, I don't know whether it's best to talk about it now or after COVID, you know, that's probably got the reputation as being one of the most dangerous countries in the world. Mm. And safety's you know, a really significant thing for you. How did you manage that in, in one of the worst countries in the world? Yeah, okay. So um, I had done my research and I knew where it was safe to be in terms of the advisory or where it was better to be and where I would be insured. And then... I mean, really, all they were allowing in terms of where I needed to get to was for me to walk along the Pan American Highway, which is awful. A lot of traffic, not much verge and pollution. So I started talking to locals. And I think this is where I can say that I was my Spanish was getting better because of the amount of practice. I would ask every day, frequently, most people that I passed, is it secure here? Is it calm and chill? am I okay to be walking through here? And there are some people who would see me, of course, and be thinking, you're alone, you're a woman, it's not safe. But they would say that about anything in terms of, because they're not used to women doing things like this. But then mostly um, I was welcome. Then one day something happened, which is I went to walk through an area and um, three motorbikes. Well, someone on a motorbike came past, asked me what I was doing. Fine, no worries. Kept going, and he was waiting for me at a bridge with two other people. Mm. And I was like, I'm about to have my stuff stolen. Mm. Um, but actually, what happened is he and his colleagues wanted to say, "Look, you're in a private area. This is a indigenous reserve. You need permission to be here, or you can't be here." And they said, "We could consider letting you through, but we need to see what you have in your pack." because we can't afford to be accused of anything. Mm. But then someone had their phone out and was re- recording a video. And I'm like, no way are you showing the world what's in my bag. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay, I think I'm gonna, thank you, I appreciate it. The first person I had met was really well mannered and well dressed. I just got a nice feeling about mm, him. Which is very important. Whereas yeah. the other two, I was a bit, shady on yeah but he was you know I kept looking at him and I was like okay I feel like I'm okay so you're not gonna believe this but I said okay I'm gonna turn back and I walked two kilometers back up a hill went back to the same shop where I had sat and said I'm gonna go down here and this is what I'm doing and she this older lady she's like oh you're back um what are you doing you know and I said oh I got turned around you need permission to walk down this road and she goes yeah of course you didn't think to mention that to me before <laughs> anyhow um this is where one of the most important relationships were formed for me because a friend of mine had mentioned a photographer that she really admires who has worked in the Darien Gap for 10 years Darien Gap is between Colombia and Panama it's the infamous area where there are no roads uh, in along the Americas um where there's a lot of human drug, money, and armor smuggling. So it's not a secure place to go. But he's worked there, he knows the people, and more importantly, he knows how the indigenous groups work. So he explained it to me and told me that I needed to um, contact the leader of each state's um, indigenous consejo, so that's like a council that come together, and get permission. And he gave me the phone number of that first state group. And I rang him and explained what I was doing 
and then also reiterated with text messages because remember my Spanish wasn't that good um, and he was just really excited about it and he said yes of course go through and I'll send a whatsapp message to everybody in who's along your along your trail and before I knew it I had people waiting on the street like from their farms waiting to catch a glimpse of me and we want to walk with can we walk with you for a little while and suddenly Columbia became one of the nicest experiences mm. Right. Mm, it was it was incredible. There was one suburb where I wanted to walk through, where the police intervened and gave me an escort because it wasn't safe because there's just known gangs in that area. But otherwise, um, it was it was just magnificent. That's great. And when you hike, you spend most of you so you generally go six days on, one day off if you can. Mm-hmm. And where most of the time you're actually camping. Yeah. So how do you? How do you camp in the middle of nowhere and how do you stay safe when you camp? Okay, um, so I will make sure that I'm at least five kilometres out of town before I start looking and I start looking before 3pm. So of course I'm planning all of this in advance to make sure that I've got time to find a a campsite. So the significance about 3pm is that that is generally the time where people are mugged all around the world because it's the time that people will commute home from work and they have time to cause trouble if that's what they're into. So I will look for somewhere that's off the road, completely out of sight, preferably elevated out of eye level. And that's because generally when people are looking for something, they don't look above their eye level, they look out and down. And I also then once it's the sun setting I don't use my the light of my torch I don't use my phone in case the light catches the eye of someone or illuminates my tent um, and I keep a really low profile I don't talk I keep wombat really calm and quiet but also remembering that wombat if someone does come past he's gonna bark and most people have a fear of dog mm. in these countries so that's kind of the last line of defense and if someone does come up, what's your what's your tagline? <laughs> uh, I usually just kind of seem like I'm annoyed, and I tell them, you know, you need to be careful. Stay back. My dog is really aggressive. I can't control him. He's my husband's. I you, you've got you've got to leave because I can't get him off you if he starts to attack. Yeah. And then they freak out and they go. Yeah. Like, I'll talk to you later. Yeah, and, and husband is a good word to drop in there. Yeah, because um, especially if I can tell them that the husband that I am inventing is from the country that I am in, I used to tell people I would just make up any story I felt like and have fun with it. Um, but I would usually say, oh, my husband is Australian like I am because I just felt like that made sense. Until some another woman I was telling, oh, look, normally I would tell people this, but the truth is this. Um, and she, she had a chuckle, but she said, but you, you've got one thing wrong. You need to tell them that they're from our country because then they'll listen more. They'll think that the consequences are closer. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. So now that's what I do. And certainly when I've tried calling you, like for planning for this trip, you, you just basically said, no, I mean, I can't. I mean, I mean. Stealth camping. Stealth camping mode, yeah. And so I was in the Army and the Air Force, did a lot of ground stuff. And basically what you're describing is how you know small military teams operate they get in before sunset and they camp completely quietly no light no smoke 
no sound. Yeah. And no one, you're just invisible, mm. and then you, no one can find you. That's so right. you're basically employing infantry tactics, is, yeah. is what it sounds like. If I'm in built up areas, I'll often go and get a coffee because sometimes I have to have a few <laughs> coffees, to, and I'll suss out the restaurant if there's a flat space out the back, and if there's a family or a group of women that live in that location, and in that case, I'll ask them if I can camp behind their house because that's usually a pretty safe way to go to in built-up areas. Yeah, cool. And I would, it seems to me that the, your, your main line of defence is intel gathering. You, you speak to everybody, mm. and that, that's partly because you want to get out of this trip interactions with the locals, you're learning Spanish, you enjoy that interaction, but you're also getting all that info. So it's not like you could, you could, one way of doing it would be to carry a whole bunch of guns, you know, but you know, the smart way to win a war is not to ever start one. Yeah, and, totally. And so you just do it through, uh, you know, intelligence and, and like two kinds of intelligence. One, the military version of intelligence and the other just social intelligence. Um, and it's critical, particularly because I'm passing through lots of countries and even though the space between them is really short, um, there are vast cultural differences and the only way I can work them out is by speaking to people. And I really learned that recently or was reminded of that recently because when I was hiking through Nicaragua, the women there do not interact with the men. If they speak to them, they just ignore them. They don't make eye contact. Um, and that really worked for me. But then as soon as I crossed into the next country, into Honduras, I was still ignoring the men with my blinkers on and I started getting verbally abused. And I was like, what is with the men here? I hate this place, I can't get through it. And then I was like, hang on a second. If I said hello to someone and they just blatantly ignored me, I'd be really irritated too. Mm. Like it's really rude. And so I, there was this case where I had literally just crossed into the country, like it wasn't over a few days, and I had forgot to get Wombat registered because of the way that the border is set out. It's really chaotic um, because it's a truck passing point and a bunch of other reasons. So I walked all the way back up to the um, customs house, found it. And on my way, I thought, well, these men have already been annoyed at me and they're quite happy to have, have you know, yell out at me. So I'm going to beat them to it and see if that fixes anything. And as I was walking past, I was like, oh, come on, and like really like getting ready to have a good chat with them. And they're like, whoa. And they're like, hey, what are you doing back? And I'm like, oh, I forgot my, about my dog and da, 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 da. Oh, how ridiculous. How are you guys doing? Like, why have you been here for so long? Do you have to, how long do you have to wait here to get your, you know, to go through the border? And then they're telling me how trucks work there. They don't go through the border. They can be there for days waiting. So no, you know, you can I'm beginning to understand why they wanted to have a conversation. But I also was seeing how the reception was a lot different. And I thought, okay, maybe it's because they're there for days and they're bored and they want like human interaction. Yeah. But I kept persisting and I walked through some very remote villages and was getting great reception from everybody. And then I was hosted by a family um, and I asked them about it. I was like, people are really friendly here. Is it not, do, you know, do people ignore each other? Or And they were very clear and told me that, yeah, it's best to interact. And I did it the whole way through and just had the most 
enjoyable experience. Mm. And that it helps keep you safe too because you just really does. you're following local customs. And yet so different from the neighbours where um, women are just ignoring men at the moment, it seems. <laughs> yeah, wow. And so in Colombia, COVID hits. How did that affect you? Big time because I don't have long-term visas for these countries. I'm just racing a tourist entry, which is usually either three months or six months depending on the country or in the case of Central America three months for several countries Um, so I had to be worried about that ticking down I knew I'd be able to get an extension but no one I didn't know how long COVID was going to last for as did anyone at the time and I was in a remote area which was already underprivileged and people were starving and it was at that point that I realized that now my the my the level of risk that I'm willing to take on my security had been tipped out of balance yeah and I just thought you know you can come back it's better to spend the money than um to try and save it and wait it out but I would only go back on the condition that I could find someone to look after Wombat and miraculously I found someone that was perfect for it and I headed home but not without a lot of heartache Mm. yeah it must have been hard yeah it was it was really hard and it just you know not only that but I like the decision like I was already heartbroken about the decision that I made but then every time I saw anybody they would ask me how wombat was and I'd just be like thrown back into that turmoil and so I started saying to people, please don't ask me again because it's too, I just don't want to think about it. And some people respected it and some people didn't. And I found that I just had to not visit people who didn't understand. And um, I focused on working as hard as I could to get the money back, you know, to being able to come back over here. And, and you um, basically went back to your old job, right? I did. I just walked right back in. It was really nice for many reasons. You know, it's validating to, to realize that you're that appreciated. Um, but also because it pays well and I'm in a more populated area now which means that I'm spending a lot more money on accommodation and food so um, in a a sense for my safety having gone home and replenished my savings has been a real win yeah and how long was it the the COVID break two years two years Um, yeah and so you made it back, you picked up Wombat? Yep. What was his reaction when he saw you? He ignored me. <laughs> <laughs> like they do. Uh, we were just saying today, we've just been to the vet and he, I mean, he hates vets, so this is probably why, but he just jumped all over me and came in for cuddles and that's, he's never done that before. He does that for my friends. I'm sure if you left and you came back in a few months, he'd be all over you, um, but not me. Isn't not that me. interesting? I'd, I'd love to know why. There'd be a reason. Oh, yeah. Yeah punishment you reckon yeah he knows it's like when he's bored and doesn't want to walk he'll um he's famous for doing hollywoods which is where if we're hanging out with someone really cool and fun and he's having a great time he'll pretend to be sick so we can stay with him for a few more days and then he'll forget that he's sick and i'll be like ah <laughs> and he knows he's like yeah he gets all wiggly yeah and so another thing too which is probably worth talking about now is you have a 
a condition and I'm not even going to try and describe it but can you describe what it is how it affects you yeah um I have prosopagnosia it's a deficiency in one of three areas in the brain where you recognize faces so for me I can see your face because the common name is face blindness yeah obviously I can see your face and all of the components but when I go to think about what you look like I can't remember so I rely on other cues which are as reliable so long as I can see them. So it might be that you have a distinguishing feature, but usually I remember people's postures, their height, like their, their silhouette, their, the most common one, which is their hair and voice. Yeah. I can actually, I'm really good at recognizing people in a crowd from when they're facing away. So if I'm um, at a music concert or something like that and I've lost a group of people, I can usually find them much faster than someone that's with me. Cool. And you use other tactics like you you if you're meeting someone you get there first yeah. so they come up and say hello to you so you can identify them yes and this is problematic because i have had many 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 long drawn out boring conversations with complete strangers <laughs> because i thought that they knew me yeah wow. <laughs> and i'm like oh, we don't know each other at all I'm, 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 i've got to go <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny because um yeah some some was that channel seven documentary thing did a yeah. thing on i watched that it was really quite interesting um, and watching TV is boring because you can't follow the characters. Is that right? I love stories, so I actually I really love watching movies. But I don't I don't have a I don't own a television because I can't. The problem is in move in films and t- TV series, people change their clothes really often, and yeah. that was also like the easiest cue, like the person in the red jumper, the person. In yeah, the, and so like. I also then have a hard time remembering names of people who are on these shows too because I'm like, oh, you know, the one that, oh. And then and often it's like I will put two, I'll either do one of two things. I'll merge two characters into one and think they're the same person or I think that this one character is two. And it's just a nightmare. And so if I, I, I try to just watch series on my own if I do because then I can try and just, well, actually I probably just have a skewed for, view of what's actually going on but i'm really annoying to watch it with because you might mention how you love one of the characters and then i'll be like which one's that and what did they do who's this one again is this the one that you know especially if they've changed clothes i'm like is this the one that um like went to the beach and had an affair with bugalugs or is that the one that got the scholarship to the university and it's just like the person with me is just like what what's wrong what have you what have you been watching like do they get really frustrated so yeah. So when you're traveling and you're meeting new people all the time yeah. and and just goes over your head. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just friendly to everybody and that usually gets me out of jail. Yeah. And, but then if you're meeting someone the next day, I guess it's just an extra overlay of difficulty, I guess. It is. Um, and so, as you said before, I just make sure that when there's a meeting point, I get there first and I'm distracted so they have to come up to me. And do you have like saying, because like... I'm crap at names and recognizing people. Yeah, a lot of people are. But do you have like a really good saying for like when you don't know who someone is, but you know you probably should? No, but I usually, um, the first time I meet someone, if I'm going to meet them again, I usually tell them I have prosopagnosia and explain what it is and that if I don't recognize them, that's why. Good one. Maybe Um, I could start using that. It's handy. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, I'm really good with names. If I know who someone is and in the context of whatever, I can generally work out. I remember the first letter of people's names 
I don't know why. I just, I'm like, oh, it's an R name. And then mm. eventually I'm like, oh, that's Rick. Yeah, cool. And so you got through Colombia and, and not soon after Colombia is Panama? Yeah, Panama's the one that's connected. Yeah, um, cool. And, that's and it Darien. was great because firstly, I got through the Darien Gap safely. I was um, nearly um, told that I couldn't do I was told that I wasn't allowed through and that if I attempted it and they found me that they would deport me. This is the border police. Um, but I was helping some scientists with their research on leatherback turtles, which is an endangered species. And the lead scientist had a contact that I was introduced to because I'd been helping them in this project. And she introduced me to them and explained what I was doing. And they said, oh, and you're at the dairy, you're at the beginning of Panama. Well, we'll just give you an escort. He'll organize it and pointed it to this man who was just like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And before I knew it, I had eight men walking with me through one of the most unsafe places in Central America. And these are basically, it's basically an infantry section that I've seen the the video of it. They're all walking along with their guns and you're just chilling. And the whole way we were in form, we were more relaxed along the beach stretch and first few days we were a bit complacent, but then there was a lot of activity with people coming through and a lot, the days was really slow because we were just constantly searching people and confiscating things off them. And so um, from that point on, we were the whole day we were walking in file we all had our positions and instructions on what to do when someone was intercepted or a group of people were intercepted. And were they pretty... I mean, they were all blokes, right? Yeah. And they were, they were there respectful. There are no women in the front line, none. Mm. So they only have female admin. And they and they were respectful throughout? Yeah, they line. really were. Um, the one person was trying to be chivalrous and that was really frustrating because you know I wouldn't want to sit I was not struggling like they were because they carry maybe 20 kilos worth of armory right and I've just got my pack so I'm literally running up the hill in front of them and taking videos and you've been walking 35 k's a day for years (laughs) yeah and they would be puffing panting and drenched dripping and I was completely dry and whatever and they would be wearing thick cams too they were just yeah they were completely loaded up and so they were just miffed that I was annoyed <laughs> that they were having a break every 20 minutes and yeah. not even affected as from what they could see and that I could run up the hill past them several times without an issue. Um, and then at the same time, this one particular guy would pull out a chair and be like, sit, you're a woman, I'm a man. And I'd be like, I don't want to sit. <laughs> um, yeah, and actually, like I was, I chatted to them because I'm like, you know, it's a real shame you don't have women because they do have a problem with entering into indigenous. So this whole area that we're in is in indigenous community groups, and in Panama they recognise the sovereignty. So those groups own that land, so they mm. you can't go in without first asking for permission, and they can say no. So they allow the police to go through, but you can imagine there's some of the towns they can't stop in they have to just keep going and from my perspective I'm like well of course you know these indigenous groups have horrific history with outsiders horrific like like most around the world um you can understand surely that how it looks when a group of men with guns come through your communities how Mm. that would make the women feel Mm. like for them to have women in those groups the women loved me 
like I, they were the men would warn me and say that don't don't take photos they're not going to interact with you da, 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 da. every community before i even realized what was going on they were putting like their special drinks that they make just only in that community into my hand and try this try this and you know do you want to do you want to have a bracelet and da, 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 da. Um, you know and can we have your whatsapp number and photos photos like it was really beautiful and I am like can you not see the value of women mm, yeah in For, your squadron yeah and also they had a first aid kit apparently they bled me dry of my first aid kit they yeah. were, like in that sense they were really not as good as they should have been they probably maybe they don't get issued the right stuff who knows they do yeah they do and um I yeah I spent most of my time doing first aid, helping them with their blisters, all that sort of stuff, which was really nice because then it meant that I had a role. Yeah, you were contributing. Yeah. And um, we have a WhatsApp group now still, cool. and they're constantly asking me where I am. It's really cool. And um, the director general, who is my contact, has said that he would love for me to come back and do a film about what they do and yeah, do it in English because that, and that's the kind of thing you want to do too, yeah and these are the contacts that I'm collecting so that I can go back and really share an, a story that offers revealment to what these people and the way that other groups live and their contribution mm. and were you sharing food with them as well? Like, we, you, you had your food and they had theirs and you just swap? Or? Oh, this is so frustrating because there are too many people involved in coordinating. And the leader of this group, um, he really wanted to get in touch with me and he really wanted to um, leave a day later than we did so that we could nut all of that out and chat, chat through the strategy of food and get to know each other. But there was a guy there that was really annoyed that I was there because he didn't want me to be allowed through. And so he was like, no, you will leave on this day. Da, 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 da. Really just gah, trying to be difficult and fine, whatever. Um, had I known that I would have just packed my bag full of treats and fun stuff. Yeah. But instead they all carried food and an extra container for me to give, to share, to share food with me. And so it was really cool because when I realized that that was what was going on, I was then like, okay, every time I sat down, I was like snacks yeah and so that also i think helped form this really nice bond yeah between all of us none of them there was a guy that started who had an allergic reaction and his arm puffed up like he just went and turned into hulk <laughs> which they still call him now to this day because i called him that um it was really cool um he was the comedic relief in the group and so it was really sad to see him go because he and I hit it off like that right away from the get-go so it was kind of like a bummer that there wasn't someone there that was kind of not serious face yeah. all the time yeah. um, and I think everyone felt his loss but still it was a really cool experience yeah amazing experience yeah yeah the other thing that happened in Panama is that I met someone who designed a Drew Trail that goes all the way from Colombia in a place where you should get a, um, a aerob like a private plane into and then you can walk along this trail that gets you all the way to Costa Rica, the next country in the north. Um, so I connected to that once I got to it and followed that, which took me through communities that were, they've never seen tourists. And that was amazing. They also aren't able to buy food like special biscuits and whatnot. And I had a load of them. So every community <laughs> I went through, 
everyone always offers you a coffee and a sit down because I just want to know who you are and what like what are you doing here and how did you get here what do you mean you used that old trail no one's used it in like 10 years were there snakes I'm like yes I've seen two every day and I'm like terrified now when I'm walking because they're poisonous all of them oh my god and you know I've got a dog with me fortunately he really listens when I say stop and watch out so that's good um but anyway I was then able to leave them with a whole packet of biscuits and they would take them and hide them in the kitchen right away because that's something that's so special that they would only pull it out to share with community members on a special event or like an important meeting or something to give them status yeah yeah and uh, just just paint the scene here wombats on the bed um just huffing puffing and rolling over and you might hear his sighs occasionally especially when he doesn't agree with something i say (laughs) i like to think yeah yeah. And so those, I mean, there's a bunch of countries there. Uh, so was it Panama, Costa Rica? Yep. Nicaragua? Yep. And then Honduras. Yeah. And it's hot, like having just been <sighs> from Panama and it's really steamy. And, and that's when you started walking at, leaving at one thirty in the morning, was it? Yeah, that's right. Um, so actually, this year, when I came back and after having spent time with my family, I just really wanted to get through and get this done faster but with the balance of having a good time. But since the heat's hit, I've completely redesigned my trail to um, match up with climate maps and follow where it's cooler, which means a lot more mountain climbing, which is fine because I love that. But it also means it's slow. Um, But they're not like what I was expecting either. There There hasn't been a lot of tree cover, at least not in Panama and Costa Rica where I was. And so it meant, yeah, waking up at 1.30, walking by three in the morning. And I thought I could start setting the clock back recently, but that's just not been the case because if it's not really, really hot, it starts to rain at three o'clock. Mm. Yeah, so. And and one of the limiting factors there is Wombat, he starts to stop, does he? In the yeah, afternoon? he's really not good in the heat. Um, and I guess we're taking more breaks as well, just to make sure that he can have a swim when, he, when it's available. And so, He's quite a black dog too. He's he quite is. a blue healer, so he, he would suck the heat in. And he was born in Chile, in an area where it snows. So he's really good in cold climate, but just mm. not so great in the heat. And I also just have this fear. I heard this expression when I was living in the Northern Territory in Australia, um, where people talk about hunting dogs and how they cooked their dogs, which to me is a revolting expression that explains when someone's gone out hunting with their dog and their dogs run so much that and gotten so hot that um they overheat and their vital organs melt mm, same as people when they do really yeah, yeah well that's what happens when people do like uh, like a hawaii iron man you, you basically your muscles start to melt i had no idea but, but dogs don't sweat and that's hard to believe but they don't mm. have sweat glands or something so they, that's yeah. why they pant and so it's harder yeah. harder for them they lose most of their heat yeah through panting and if not then through their pores but you can do things like keep them wet so that so mm. they get convection is it convection no uh, well, well evaporative cooling yes yeah um but when it's humid that's less effective again yeah which is why we sweat so much because your body's just going to cool me down but it doesn't work so it's you sweat more yeah, and he will follow me to the end of the earth, so I really just have to stay well, very he, conscious. He is following you to the end of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> Whether he likes it or not. <laughs> well, at least that'll be in Alaska. <laughs> yeah, he'll, he'll be in his element. He'll be in his booties up there. <laughs> he will be, and like, hopefully, wouldn't it be cool if I could get like a 
um, oh, I could put you onto this. You could make him like a puffer suit. A puffer suit out of a tarp? Yes. <laughs> or out of a, I'll give you a sleeping bag and you can stitch in all of the holes in the right places so he can relieve himself. Yeah, yeah. He needs moon boots. He needs he boots. Because that, that, that. Knee high too. Like it may be in like a color that's contrasting to the jumpsuit. Maybe, you, yeah, you, you yeah. Can sort it. But that'll be that'll be the struggle factor, I reckon. In minus thirty, yeah, minus forty would be his pause. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll see. I when I was in the Atacama Desert, I met um, a couple who one of them, their mum, is responsible for organising the Idata race. I think that's how you say it, which is a sled dog race every year up in yeah, um, they'd be the ones, Alaska. Chat. Yeah. So we'll see. I'll run him with their dogs. Yeah. But also, now these dogs cost $20,000 to rent for a week. Wow. Right? But they're like, we should be able to hook you up. Awesome. Wouldn't that be amazing? Oh, that'd be unreal. Yeah. So we'll see what happens there. But um, also, it just is... Like, I'm never... You know, I have these deadlines, but I'm never unwilling to stop if it's necessary, whether it be for injury or for learning and making sure that, that we're secure or because I have to wait because I'm getting a, you know, police escort to go somewhere. I'm not, I'm never making a decision because it's the convenient decision. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And does that pretty much get us up to right now? What we've covered so far? Yeah. I think for the last couple of months, I've been walking my way through Central America, which has mainly been in remote towns like walking through remote communities and that has looked like 50 50 foot track and dirt track yeah cool yeah so um this is where i where we've been up now so i was in panama instructing some survival stuff and just thinking man i'm gonna be flying right past you no brainer to drop in and so i was well um we rv'd via bunch of different messaging systems mm-hmm. um sat trackers and, and luckily we had mobile reception but i basically rented a car from panama airport and just drove for about four and a half five hours in the northeasterly direction and ended up on you know quite a bumpy dirt road in this dodgy <laughs> hiker which is great that it looks dodgy it's less of a, a steal so know. good but it wasn't great that i didn't check my the pin that i sent you for our original meet point um, and I just thought you'd be able to drive there, no problems, not realizing that one, it turned into a foot track and two, that foot track turned into a river that I had to walk down. <laughs> you would never have been able to meet me. So being able to shift that point was really cool. Um, but also you rescued me in a big way. Yeah. And purely because he just happens to have this foot injury. Yeah. So Wombat, um, started limping a couple of weeks ago and, it was just for like maybe the last hour of a day and he has put on a limp before and it not been a real thing. So I just thought maybe he was tired, but I didn't want to take any chances. And I took two days off for my rest period because that day was due and there was a place where I could stay with, with him. And we continued and he was fine for a couple of days, but then two days before we got to the next town, he started limping again and I noticed a blister and thought, ah, that's, um, well, at first I thought there was a crack on his the pad of his foot, so I put him into a booty. Then he got blisters from the booty. Um, so I've since gotten rid of that because it's happened before. I should have known better. Um, and now it turns out that he... Well, we don't really know what it is. I was told by one vet that it's like a fissure, which is a um, superficial fracture, like a, a break, but not really. And then I've sent that to 
my vet back in Australia who consults with me on, on all things Wombat, even who, through my beacon. Who was the one that called 40 minutes ago? Yep. And then she has, in the past, she's run Wombat's case through um, really renowned nutritionists. But this time she went to a orthopedic surgeon specialist to see if they can validate the opinion of the vet here and it's just they've just said that there is no obvious anything in the x-ray and that they would need a second view um but they don't believe that there is a fracture so which is actually what you and i were kind of we were looking at it and we're going well we can't quite see that like it looks like the same on the other ones and dr farley had also already done the research and she had said to me that really if there's something like a stress fracture that doesn't happen in his breed it's more like something to happen to a a delicate breed like a whippet that's run and rammed its shoulder into a park bench because it was going too fast and then it's kept going and then later when it gets home it starts limping and being really miserable and that does happen mm. but not to a blue healer the upshot is basically he's up for a 20 days rest or pattern you might be able to revise it a bit but basically he can't walk so what i was going to be doing was just walking with you for three or four days yeah and then what was it going to be awkward with a higher car because i only really had four or five days in country and if I took mm. public transport I'd lose all the time so I hired the car and it was a bit going to be a bit of a problem on how I'd walk and then get back to the car each day yeah. but it turns out that it was great because we took him to a vet in this country town not that great wasn't really a vet so we decided <laughs> total fail um it was limping really badly we was basically hopping on and it was at this point that we noticed or before I'd gotten to you I'd noticed that his one of his toes had blown up I mean two three times its normal size and so I just don't want to take any chances. I'm also in a remote area where it's going to be difficult to get specialist opinions. And so we kind of, we chatted in the evening and had an idea, or maybe we can take advantage and go on an adventure and do something like that. And Mike was like, well, we could also get into the city and find a good vet that has an X-ray. You can get it all checked out. So we did, and at the same time, I couldn't hear anything that Mike was saying because my ears were completely blocked. So in the morning, we just made a snap decision. Let's go on an adventure and climb up a volcano that I really wanted to climb. But before we get there, let's see a vet and make sure that Wombat's okay and that we implement some sort of a treatment plan um, and we're comfortable with leaving him. And three, let's go find a doctor who can clean your ears out. And we got all of that done and we still managed to find somewhere. We found um, a vet uh, clinic that not only treats dogs, but they also have like a hostel for them. So we left him in their care and we were able to get yeah. through a town that had a roadblock with but, fireworks. Yeah, so at least six and a half hours driving in there. Yeah, plus getting stuck at night now. It's now dark. Um, yeah, this, you've got stuck in a town, fireworks <laughs> and people everywhere. And then more dirt road in the dark. And we got to the, oh, we had to go and shop too for, um, uh. for f- food and stuff, for hiking. And we kind of just recorded it off Google Maps and looked at a couple of guided things. We didn't quite realize it was just like a thing that lots of people do. It felt like it was going to be a bit of a... Remote. Remote, but not quite so much. But so we we parked at the base of this volcano as high up as we could get and we hiked up about 400 vertical meters. Uh, that's when we recorded that first podcast, but something was clicking, so we didn't use that audio and now we're redoing it. But um, the next morning we got up and it was a long day. It was. Um, up to 3,600 vertical meters mm-hmm. um, with all our packs and everything. I had a fair bit of camera gear too. And we got altitude sickness. 
he had a like a five out of ten headache and nausea or yep. whatever yeah um, which and we just rested for an hour and then we hiked on to this volcano and there's eruptions going on pretty decent ones every half hour just amazing yeah and we got up there and um it, it was it was partly it was often cloudy during the day but it cleared and there was wisps of cloud forming and streaming over the summit and with we, like evening light hitting it so that it glowed gold just beautiful yeah and there was only one or two or three people up there and they sort of followed up behind us we would sort of rushing up so we didn't get them in shot um and then i was lucky so you went up up first and i got some pics of you and then we swapped places and then mm. I, as i went up there we had the big eruption boom <laughs> so good so good i'm so jealous because we got great footage of you but um it, like it was just a great experience it was yeah and so i'm spewing because i had my gopro on my hand uh. and i was just saying to it like it, it had been turning off and on because of the cold and that is a problem with gopro batteries they just shit themselves when it gets cold and it wasn't and even that cold it like, wasn't even real. that cold it wasn't it's a frustrating as hell so anyway the um i started saying this feels really dodgy i was getting that feeling like this is that there's risk here and, mm. and there was mm. <laughs> and uh, just as that happened it erupted boom and uh so i turned the gopro on and i'm like oh shit! And I'm, run I'm running away and it's not just it erupts all the time and there's just cloud plumes but this was one of those ones where there was like this cracking sonic noise and then suddenly showers of rocks spewing down the side of the mountain not far from where you were standing so that would have been a bit scary <laughs> that's why i was running and yeah. i was like but I, I was kind of running and laughing at the same time and then i go oh i finished oh that's some of the best footage i've ever shot and i look down and the thing's off i'm like no and i go back through the replay and it's like just as the explosion happened like three frames later it just kind of cuts out yeah just enough to capture you know as you lift up the gopro and it gets a good look up your nose and then it died <laughs> yeah that's uh, so frustrating uh -huh. anyway it was cool and then and then we we left early because uh, it clouded out and then as we were going down this thunderstorm was just like constant lightning and yet we were heading on our way down and the light kind of cleared up again the sky and we were kind of like oh i think we've made the wrong decision but then there were a lot of people that were coming up at that time so we would never have been able to have a nice you know with the photography goals that we had we'd never been able to capture what we wanted to so we pressed on heading back up to where our campsite was and yeah and then we like literally zipped into the tent and then it just went just like yeah. pissed down for about four hours yeah to the point where the timing was so perfect i didn't have time to get out of the tent to make sure that all of the corners were tight which can be a bit of a finessing with my tent because it's an asymmetrical tent so we were so so lucky and so tired also yeah we're absolutely trashed do you remember i suggested that we eat some cake and you were like, yeah, in half an hour. And then we both woke up in the morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just I just lay back and while well, I was charging some cameras. And then, yeah, I was, I was it. I was out. Yeah. I think that must have been 10 hours of sleep. Yeah. yeah. And then the rain stopped and the tent mostly dried because it was windy. Yeah. And then we sort of had a bit of a slow start. The light was bad. And then we, just as we packed up, it just cleared up. I got some pretty epic drone stuff. You got um, the best footage when I think that if you're listening to this and you like make mark a reminder because the footage on the youtube channel is just going to be really worth seeing yeah it was good minus the really good gopro footage <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be on my Outback Mike YouTube channel. And um, Lucy also has her YouTube channel, Tangles and Tail. Yeah. And social media, Tangles and Tail. Yeah. Uh, you do Facebook as well too. Not really. Not really. I mean, that's just if I, re- um, whenever I have a publication go out, I push it onto there. But the best places is Instagram and YouTube. Yeah, and I'll put a link in the description. I'll be—I I'm, know I'm slow with getting all these links and stuff up because my hair's literally on fire. I'm really not. I'm just punching these things out without even listening to mm. them again and going on to the next adventure. But at some stage, all those links and stuff will be in there. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, from here um, onwards, I'm really looking forward. The next country that I'm going to is Mexico, which actually, of all of the statistics that I've got in terms of security. For the countries that I'm walking through, it's the one that's the um, has the highest crime rates. So, I am currently trying to get in contact with um, the police in Mexico. They have supported adventurers before in their pursuits, so hopefully they'll be able to support me in some way. Um, but funnily enough, the thing that I'm most concerned about is reaching climates where there are bears because I've just got no experience with them. Mm. Well, certainly, I mean. I'm no expert on bears in the states, but the the southern states they're not such a big deal for, because they're they're quite populated. And then I'll have a lot more information on this in two weeks' time when I'm going to be in bear country for two weeks with someone who's a bear expert. Can I do a podcast with them? I will. Mm. Well, I've got to ask him first. <laughs> I hope so. Um, I need to listen. Yeah, I'm a, like things plans can always change, but at the moment I'm meeting up with Clay Hayes, the yes. winner of season eight of Alone. Who's a he's got a fantastic YouTube channel. And when I was prepping for Alone, I was actually I watched his videos on how to make nets and stuff like that. And so we um, got in contact. I sent him my book um, and my audio book and, and he enjoyed that. And he's, and so he's invited me to be out in remote Idaho with his family for two weeks. Like it's so just, good. it's unbelievable. You know what I really like about him is the way that he explains mm. his rationale. It's really clear and makes a lot of sense to me. Yep, me too. So that'll be... Super cool. And there's another possibility I might be catching up with another person too, but I won't announce that unless that's confirmed. So, yeah, but, but I'll, I'll have a bit more bear info. Uh, but, and I can, yeah, you'll, you'll find out as you go, I guess. But it is, a, I, having done a bit in bear country, it does, you just feel exposed. And I, I know I'll be doing that. I'm going to try and do a week of solo stuff in Idaho as well. Mm. And uh, I want How long for? probably a week so of that two weeks I'll probably hang out with Clay for a week this is my plan at the moment it'll Mm. probably change but I want to do like a week solo survival stuff and and just so I'm hoping I can learn plant stuff and a lot of the risk management stuff from him and then go and put it to the test for a week okay what I really want to know about this just for you to pen for later is that I have had a friend recently that was talking to me about how um, he was cycling through Alaska with a buddy and they had separate bear bags of food. Yeah. And they don't know whether it was a bear or people, but on two occasions, their food bags were stolen, so they ended up with no food. I don't know. So, yeah, that'd be <laughs> Sounds like a bear. Mm. Yeah. Cool. And, yeah, so you, you're going to hang out for a while here? Um, yeah. Or wherever that may be that you could... Well, you don't want to give us away exactly where you are, but it could be a range. You still haven't even decided yet, and then and then you then you'll keep going. Yeah, I think yeah, I'll take advantage of the time out, but the priority here is 
I was really lucky. When I came into this country, I had 27 days to get all the way through and I needed 22. But for some reason at immigration, I was telling them my story, which was crazy because everyone's waiting to get through and no one's interested just having a chat about what I'm doing. And the guy from the Guatemala immigration just decided to veto the usual standard where you only have 90 days to get through all of Central America. And he gave me two months on my stamp into Guatemala. So thankfully to him, so much luck has happened mm. on this on this whole debacle. Um, I have a window to work with, you know, right up for a month, I would say. But I cannot afford for Wombat to go backwards. So we, I, whatever I do right now, he has to recover and um, then move. Mm. Awesome. And uh, finally, when we were hiking, mm. I sometimes had your pack on. And you're like, I oh, don't mind my she-weeds on the outside of my pack. <laughs> I'm like... I'd heard, Do not touch it. I've heard of a shiwi, but I, I hadn't really thought of the mechanics of a shiwi. Yeah. Until, you, like you said, you needed to take a whiz or whatever. Mm. And you're standing up like a bloke doing a wee. And I'm like, oh, is that the shiwi, is it? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So you want to, how does that, like, how That's does that great. work and why do you do it? Yeah, okay. So I um, was never into the idea of them. You've you got to describe what it is. Yeah, yeah, okay. So a shiwi is a urinary device for women. Um, and it's essentially a narrow, there's many different shapes, but the one that I use is a narrow filter that you can choose to add on an attachment to make it longer. And people who are in harnesses tend to opt for the short version and not use the extender. A harness? Yeah, if they're rock climbing because they're against a wall or whatever and for some reason they don't like the extension. It's also, sometimes if it's windy, it's best not to have the extension because you can use your body as a wind block. What would you mean a harness? If you're rock climbing. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking about the shiwi had a harness. Oh, no, no. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's made to the confused face. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, um, okay, so I've lost, totally lost it now, right, but it's yeah. essentially a funnel. And um, what it means is that even if I'm in tights or zip pants, I can discreetly go to the toilet without having to trek in you know, 20 meters into the bush. I don't have to expose myself in any way at all. So I feel a lot more secure. It's also faster. I don't have to put my pack down either. Um, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That, that's handy. So it just, it's faster and it's just more secure and more comfortable. I don't need to use toilet paper with it. It's So it's cleaner in my opinion. The only thing is that um, sometimes the reservoir can, where you store the device can feel get you know have a little bit of urine caught in it so you need to be careful with handling it that's why i'm like don't touch it (laughs) (laughs) another another advantage i just thought of then because one of the things you use at night when you walk and cars drive past you turn your back certain way so you look like a man i guess if someone does see you doing a wee they're gonna go well that's obviously a bloke (laughs) yeah that's true i never thought of that yeah yeah cool well there you go you learned well I, i learned something on this trip that I'd, yeah. Yeah, it's I'd, really changed the way, I mean, it's something that's really nice that I've uncovered from all of this because they, um, it's a clever, it's, it's really clever and really convenient and it is actually very much more enjoyable peeing standing up. Cool. Right, I should, to finish off too, I should say, after you complete this thing and you kind of alluded to it already hmm. you're, you're gathering these stories and you're effectively 
you want to be like a, a writer and photojournalist. Yeah. So when this finishes, you, you go and continue on those things. So yeah, follow what Lisey's doing and you'll be able to enjoy those future things that she finishes even after the expedition's complete. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm, as you know, I'm a people person and I just love working out what sparks joy in other people and, you know, or, or what gives them a lot of pride in their life. So I love going into these communities and spending time with them and being able to describe to people who are completely foreign to these concepts the way that they live and to inspire in that person a sense of revealment or joy. Like I love sharing that. And so that's what I'll be doing after the expedition. Cool. Well, thanks heaps for having me along. It's been pretty cool joining in. Thanks for saving us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a good coincidence. Uh, it's been awesome. And that was a great adventure that we just did. Oh, so good. A highlight. And honestly, we haven't even mentioned I've just reached the halfway mark. Guatemala is the halfway country for me. And so part of this volcano trip was also to celebrate that. And um, without you here to give me a bit of a nudge, I don't think I would have really truly appreciated or had that moment of, I'm halfway. Yeah, and we got some cool pics of Lucy holding a halfway sign on the volcano and here uh, on the streets and stuff. So yeah, Yeah. it's good to have a milestone that you can place to a certain event yeah totally yeah so only another fifteen thousand k's to go and you're good (laughs) (laughs) awesome thanks so much for chatting lucy thanks for having me